Welcome to Coastline Church, seeking renewed faith in Humboldt County by being settled and secure in God's love. To learn more, visit coastlinefoursquare.com. So as I said last time, last time we did uh, uh, Joshua 3, to, 3, 1 to 5, 1, is again, we have to look at Old Testament in light of New Testament. And so I'm not going to go through all that again, but just the, well, that is important. Paul understood Old Testament better than any of us. And he had to restudy and rethink about everything after he met Jesus. So the Old Testament does not make sense unless you understand Jesus's message. <clears throat> so for context, what I'm talking about today, because we're talking about the whole chapter of them surrounding Jericho, you know, a story a lot of us may have heard. But I want to make it clear, Jesus taught, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who persecute you. And then the epistles made it clear, humans are not really our enemy. You know, we don't, we don't fight, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Humans are not my enemy. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Our weapons are very different than we sometimes think. We think manipulations take control, be aggressive. And God gives a whole, a totally different, different whole, I guess you'd say, mindset of what a weapon is. And so I want that in context of what we're going to talk about today. <clears throat> the shared goal of the epistles, and maybe I... I be a little harder, I guess, to define this in Revelation. But a common theme in all the epistles is love. In fact, Paul, Paul literally, I mean, not literally, but very clearly expresses this. But you look, whatever the topic was that the author was writing out in the letters in the New Testament, they talk about those details, but they always go to a conclusion about being tender to one another, taking care of one another. The whole goal is always love as the expression of faith. And even, even that verse that said, love your enemies, Jesus used agape, deep attachment, committed love to those that oppose you. So it wasn't like you can just love them and tolerate them from a distance. So the whole idea of our expression of faith being love, that's just the main thing. <clears throat> Joy is the awareness of God loving to be with us. We've talked about this before. We live a shared life in Christ. That's what God's after. That's what God's building. And that's what the enemy wants to destroy. <clears throat> you know, just maybe I'll go back to this this much. Um, I'll refer to it again later. But John in 1 John said, the whole reason I'm writing to you about what I've seen and heard is that you would have fellowship with us. Koinonia, a deep, committed fellowship with us. But let's be clear. Our fellowship is with the Father and with Jesus Christ. Yeah, we write to you so that our joy, all being together, our joy, God's joy, our joy, with one another and him, would be full. That's the whole intent of the message. Now we'll talk about Joshua. <clears throat> Interesting thing. So the people have crossed over the Jordan. Okay, they crossed during harvest time. Um, after they cross, there is some time that they camp around the area before they actually attack uh, Jericho. During this time, he has all 
the men circumcised. All the men old enough, all the men actually are circumcised because when they came out of Egypt and the 12 spies came back with a report and only two of them, only Josh and Caleb said, let's go do what God wants. And the others were fearful. God then had them spend, God's reaction to them was, for 40 years, you get to wander around. Only Joshua and Caleb, of all you fighting men, get to enter in. The rest of you will die out here as we wander around. So now they're ready to fight. And you have all these people that were born, or at least were under 20 years of age when they were out there in the desert. And they get circumcised. And that's interesting because that's not exactly a great battle plan. Um, the other place we see something like this is when Jacob's sons basically tricked guys in the village because they, they assaulted their sister. And they tricked them into getting circumcised so that then while they were healing up, they could attack them. So this is not like you'd say a battle plan. And they did take time to get healed afterwards. But I just, again, find it interesting. God purposely brings up things like, I'm doing things that are not humanly wise. Like normally the way you'd say, oh, I'm going to get ready for battle. Great. Let's go get cut. And, and as me as a guy, I keep thinking, yeah, I don't know if I'd have signed up for that list anyway. Because <laughs> they, they didn't have aspirin in those days. <clears throat> and just as a side note, uh, we, 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 uh, it's here where we hear about how manna ended. Remember, they were getting manna six days a week. And... After they crossed over the Jordan, they stuck around all the way till spring. So they were camping because they celebrated Passover. And the day after Passover, it says manna stopped because by then they were eating the fruit of the land. And so from then on, they ate what was grown in the land and manna stopped. Not a big point. I'd say it. I just find it interesting to find out, oh, this is when manna stopped. So I thought you'd find it interesting. And you can just lie to me and say you did. <clears throat> okay. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, this is still Joshua 5, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword. And Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? <clears throat> I think this is, this is added for a reason in scripture. He replied, neither. So he's seeing this guy, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell on his face to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And the only thing he tells him is, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. Not much of a message. Why is it in there? Because I think it's really critical to understand he's not on sides. He has his own side. Is because God chose Israel, he's going to fight for them. But God doesn't come to fight our battles of our choosing. It's the commander of the Lord. And some say this could even be Jesus himself because of just the Hebrew and what it meant being worshipped. But the point I want to get to just now is God has God's agenda and we line up with it. He doesn't go with our agenda. <clears throat> and then we have Joshua 16. <clears throat> Not going to read it all. We're pretty familiar. God's plan in Joshua 6, sorry, 16, is basically you're going to take 13 laps around Jericho. Um, to be clear, the walls of Jericho were thick. They dug them up. The archaeologists have. Jericho was not a big town. In fact, none of these towns that they're attacking are big. Um, most people say Jericho is actually less than 10 acres. Because what would happen, wow. they, they did walled cities the way we think of castles. 
Like in Europe, you'd have all the people living in land and they're farming. And then if attackers came, there was a castle to retreat to. Well, that's what the walled cities of Jericho were. People lived outside it uh, and inside it, but it was a, a walled place for them to come into to take shelter. Make sense? The reason I say this is from a human point of view, this wouldn't be necessary because they had an overwhelming force. The, the number, the size of Israel's number is huge. And I know like all through scriptures we'll read, it'll talk about, oh, there were five kings in the area. That word kings would refer to more like what we call mayors. Is all these walled cities were not, none of the cities were huge. They were small little towns that had like mayors in charge of them. <clears throat> Make sense? And I wanted to say, it's easy. Sometimes it's harder to rely on the Lord when you think you got it covered. Because yeah. they had an overwhelming force. In fact, later it gets them in trouble. But that's for another week. <clears throat> and God says, this is what I want you to do. <clears throat> for six days, you go out and you take a lap around Jericho. Would not have taken them long. They've, they've dug the walls, the footings of the walls. Not a big trip. So basically for six days, you go, you take a lap of Jericho and you come back. And the whole time you're doing that lap, you don't say a word. All, the, all they hear is the trumpets. It's like, no, this, is, this isn't going to be in your strength. Just take your lap, go home and rest. It's almost like the reverse. Instead of working six days and one day of rest, they rest for six days. For six days, they take a lap, go back. Seventh day, they're told, now you do seven laps. And then you circle the place and shout, and then the walls will just fall down for you, and you can just go take it right away. Because they have such a huge army, they could just totally just, like, they'd be many, many men deep surrounding this, it would actually be a pretty easy victory. Make sense? So I just wanted to get clear this, this whole precedent that we're going to take into our, our idea of how we fight battles. So first of all, New Testament tells us really people aren't our enemy. <clears throat> so it was on my heart on this thing, trying to say, okay, God, what is the message to bring here? The enemy wants to destroy what God chooses to build. And what God chooses to build is Holy Spirit joyful community. I know I've spoken a lot about joy these past months, maybe a year, I don't keep track. <clears throat> but God's strength, our strength rather, is God's joy over us. He wants us to have a Holy Spirit joyful community. That's what he's building and that's what the enemy's fighting. And by any mean community of any size, joyful community is you and one other person. Joyful community is a group of three. It can be a group that's bigger. But I, I'm mentioning twos or threes for a reason. Because a lot of joyful community that's deeply intimate, it's not usually groups of a thousand. I mean, I, I enjoy groups of a thousand, but I can't be intimate with a group of a thousand. Living a joyful, shared Holy Spirit life. Again, 1 John, Paul says, that's the whole reason I'm writing to you is that you understand what it means to have a joy in Christ. And even the word Christ, Jesus was called the Christ because he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. Christos actually refers to spirit, the anointing. Okay, so here we have this Holy Spirit joyful community. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. This is in John 6, when Jesus is teaching and the things he's saying are hard for people to gather. And they're basically telling Jesus, you got to change your marketing strategy. You talk about eating your flesh, drinking your blood. This makes no sense to people. 
This is, this is off the wall. You got to change your marketing strategy, Jesus. And Jesus' answer is, it's the spirit gives life. The flesh is of no value at all. So what does it mean to do things by the power of the spirit and not of the flesh? Like when you even hear that, like I often hear people say, oh, I was in the flesh. I mean, we use this Christianese. What does that even mean? Like, what does it mean to walk in the spirit as opposed to walk in the flesh? <laughs> this this is where I divide you into small Mind groups. Over actions, Thank you. Say it again. Mind over action. Mind over action. Okay. Yes. Yeah. When you're doing things, what's have you ever done something where sometimes you're doing it, and you're like, no, I'm walking in the power of the spirit. And sometimes you're not. What what's the difference? What makes the difference? I feel like it's when we take matters into our own hands. Yeah. Is walking in the flesh. Like, we don't take time right. to even ask what we should be doing. We just, like, pick up the sword and run headlong into. Excellent. In our own strength. Yeah. We take matters into our own hands and we run headlong. Yeah. Did you have something, Jerry? There is a, in scripture, there are places where. The word simply says, do this. Well, as far as I'm concerned, it means do it. I used to hear people all the time saying, when the Spirit moves upon me, I will do it. Well, Scripture says, do it. You don't have to wait to do it. There are many other times where you walk carefully and ask the Lord what to do, even on the simplest of things. Uh, for example, more years ago, and I want to admit, um, there were some men I heard about over on Mount Shasta, and uh, they were walking along through a meadow, and they said they hit a wall, unseen wall. They couldn't, it got harder and harder to move. They turned around and started walking the other way, and it was real easy, like they were going downhill. Obviously, there's a lot of strange things that go on in Mount Shasta. And uh, myself, I would have thought, well, this is where we come against it and strike it down and go after it. They didn't. They prayed and asked the Lord what they should do. And the Lord impressed upon them, now is not the time, simply walk away. And that's the difference in walking in the Spirit and following the Word. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because because Jericho, they had an overwhelming force. They could have just gone and taken it. And they did obey God. I mean, God told them to do specific things that you obey. And you're right. We don't we don't want to use the excuse, I'll wait till the spirit moves me to not obey. But it was important to God they do it his way. And there are times when he says, I mean, I was amazed on a trip, one of the trips to, to uh, southern Asia. They'd had a place attacked and people murdered just the week before we got there. And we have all the reasons, like we, we can get riled up over somebody who puts a sign on our lawn we don't like, or on their own lawn that we don't like. <laughs> they had someone get killed. And their first reaction was, when they started to get riled up is, wait, these people aren't our enemy. They killed one of ours, but they're not our enemy. We have to seek God on what we're going to do. They, it's like, we have to find out what does God wants to do. So they actually prayed first before they did anything else. Uh, just 
before the scripture, before or after the scripture you read, the children of Israel went on their own to attack Ai and got beaten badly. Yeah, I don't want to bring that one up because that is Rob. That's the next week's sermon. Oh, well, <laughs> but no, but no, it is a critical point because something. Spoiler. Yeah, something does go on here that's really important. Yeah, and it's covered in the next two chapters. But yeah, you're right about Ai. <clears throat> okay, so this whole walking in the flesh, walking in the spirit. I just, I always look at like you're saying, either I'm dependent on God or I'm independent of him. And it doesn't mean I'm like sitting there like, okay, God, when you physically grab my feet and move them, I will go work. <laughs> but it's like, no, I'm going to do all things with Jesus. I don't do things for Jesus. I do things with Jesus. <clears throat> So why do I bring this up? Are you tired? This is a familiar passage. By the way, I know I rarely quote message, but it's okay this time, so, so trust it. <laughs> Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And that's the whole, the whole reason I picked this this version is it's the one that has this line that I think is so powerful. And it's and it's a pattern. <laughs> Even if it's not literally in the Greek in this passage, it's something Jesus modeled. Live the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Um, the ill-fitting is actually more accurate to the Greek because heavy, heavy has to do it well. I don't get into that. Sorry. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So that's his Old Testament. This is Isaiah 30, powerful passage. Um, where thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength, but you were unwilling. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I learned to experience his joy in quietness and trust. Literally, where it says returning and rest, it actually is rest, in returning. And I, I know with grammar, it may not be exactly the same to us in English, but I, I think the phrase is important. There's a rest in returning. It's not about, well, I'll just write, read what I wrote here. Return to God's joy through rest <laughs> and quieting in the midst of everyday life of burden and distraction. Here's where I want to go with this. As everyday life happens and things come up, it is easy to fall out of our relationship with God. Not, not that we've really broken it, but we lose our focus. We lose our focus on people. We start thinking of people as enemies. Instead of people being a person who has a family, who has kids they worry about, because we see it in politics with strangers, we see it on the news, those evil people over there, or the over people, there's evil people to the right, there's evil people to the left. It's like, wait, this is a person that's scared. They have worries. They have little kids. They want what's best for them. Um, I recently heard a guy give a lesson. He said, he was talking about healing. He says, you know, when we talk about healing from how our parents raised us, he says, you know, and he's an older guy, even older than me. And he said, I've never yet met a family that said, you know what I want to do? Let you and I get married. And I think what'd be cool is let's have kids and spend money and time and energy just to see how badly we can damage them. You know, let's let's have kids just so we can mess them up. Isn't that going to be fun? No, no one does that. That isn't their heart. So even in the healing, it's like people damage each other. Okay? But we have to remember they're not my enemy. It is a person to love, not an enemy to conquer. 
or to resist. <clears throat> and it involves rest. See, I guess my question is, is it possible, just thinking in, in people we relate to every day, and I'm not even talking about, you know, things on global, global scale, just even your neighbors, maybe even your own family. Is it possible that we imagine a situation or a meeting that's coming up or even just a person or the way we view them or evaluate them? And I know we like to act spiritual. I don't evaluate people. God says not to judge. and I don't ever judge. Yeah, I, I've been around people too long. We evaluate them. <clears throat> or take on a situation is it possible it's incomplete or inaccurate? Is that even possible? Right. What? Why? We're flawed. Yeah, we're flawed. We don't know everything God knows. Right. Is it possible things around us are that even other things not involving that person direct affect us? Is it possible our emotions affect us and the way we perceive people? The reason I'm saying this because <clears throat> I've run into this a lot, mainly because I guess remember I'm around guys. And I've had almost literally, probably at times even literally, these words said to me. Why are you talking about emotions? Like my job at Humble was I was to fix things. My, their goal was I got to make a team productive. I got I to gotta fix their teamwork. I got to fix their apartment. And I, I look back and go, and we always started dealing with emotions. And I even had one guy work for me. A brilliant guy. He graduated from Berkeley. And he basically said, what is all this nonsense about emotions? I don't decide by emotions. I decide by logic. And I got to know that guy really well. And you know what I found out? He crazy did not decide by logic because all this <laughs> logic was based on things that his emotions were influencing him like crazy. And it, he was a good example of being unaware of an emotional state does not mean you're not being influenced by them. In fact, it's more likely. I refuse to talk about emotions involved in an emotional state. I want to decide on logic. Yeah, and then those emotions you aren't aware of, they're affecting the whole way you view the logic. Make sense? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Good, because you're probably wondering, well, how do we get to here after Joshua? <clears throat> I, I really need to, to drive this home. Because I think when we start talking about spiritual battles and spiritual warfare, we miss the biggest place it happens. And we miss the weapons we have. An example of when you were starting to think of people as enemies instead of people to love. Uh, nowadays, like I've been reading books on brain science, they talk about in your brain, when you go into what they call enemy mode, the circuits in your brain start working differently. You start, you start being wired for protection and fear instead of responding in love. It turns off your relational circuits. <clears throat> so my mind gets locked into, oh, sorry, first one. When I start seeing people as problems to avoid or fix, like you're now not seeing a person as a person, you see them as a problem and you either want to avoid them or you got to try and fix them. If your mind gets locked onto something upsetting, for me, a lot of times this would be regret. I get locked onto regret of some past. I get, I get fixated on something they did or I did in the past. <clears throat> when I don't care about what people think or feel, and I don't mean like you're a slave to their opinion, I mean, like, you don't want to hear it. Like, I just want quiet now. I don't want to be connected to, in the fill in the blank, it would be somebody you normally would like to be connected to. Because this happens. When we get in enemy mode, person is precious to us and we value, now I don't even want to be around them. I do not want to connect to them. 
I just want to get away. People often hear this fight, flight, or freeze. You either want to get away from the situation or you're ready for an argument or you freeze. Um, I hope I fix my slides. This morning, I originally was going to do this thing on both decision-making and relationships because it's some of the similar steps I'm going to talk about where people freeze in decision-making because they get so bound by worry and fear and how they make decisions. And a spiritual battle happens there. <clears throat> I more aggressively interrogate, judge, or try to fix others. I snap at people. I'm distracted by dread of an upcoming meeting or event. And I would say, or a decision I have to make. Like I, I actually get paralyzed in, in this dread. <clears throat> Makes sense? Okay. So here, here's the test of this. <clears throat> so this is how, for me, so I'll go personal. This is how I learned to fight with God in his way. When sometimes it seems like, God, it seems like we should just do the direct approach. I know the answers. I can go in and fix this. And God is saying, no, I want you to take 13 laps instead. Is I have to ask, who is someone whose presence you experience some emotions I'm going to show you? In some cases, it may be just anticipating having to interact with them leads you to experience these emotions. Like anxiety, fear, anger, disgust, resentment over some harm they've done. I did the harm. You'll see why I did that in a minute. Disappointment, shame, fatigue. Okay. I, I'll be honest. There were, there were times where even just driving in certain parts of Eureka would kind of just gut me. Just of shame. Just because it just reminds me of some things that went on down there. And, and it just, just the location of driving through it was affecting me. Hopelessness, frustration, envy. People that just seen them raises envy. Apathy, and I want to say a different kind of resentment, the resentment of being overlooked. Because at least I've noticed in my life and the lives of the people I've worked with, their resentment, they're kind of aware and recognize resentment where someone actually harmed them. But there was a deeper resentment that was affecting them. And it wasn't that they directly harmed them. They were just a person that never saw them. And it was, it was like resentment over, over not being seen. Make sense? Because here's one of us to engage with. To really fight these battles, we have to be willing to have honest relationship with Jesus. Is, Jesus, I want you to see the real me. And I want to be honest about it. When I think of this person, these emotions come up. This, this, this meaning I have to have, I'm filled with dread over it. And it's important to ask why. <clears throat> There's a way to resist the enemy and prepare so we experience this quietness. You know, we have the scripture that quietness and rest will be your guide. Here's the thing I, I found. This book explained it, but I didn't know how to explain it then. I would have teams, and I needed to have them reconcile. I needed to resolve conflict. But it got obvious I can't do it. And now, now I've used the term that they, the, these other books I'm reading would say they were stuck in enemy mode. As long as their relational circuits were lost, and they were turned off and they saw the person as an enemy, all my, all my reconciliation ideas would not work. I first had to get the relationship circuits back on. Quietness had to come first. <clears throat> so a way to do this is ask Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit. I won't tell you how I did it at work because it had to be way more subtle. <clears throat> since, since we know Jesus, we get to do it the, the, the effective way. To actually take time and ask the Father, 
And, and which one you use, to me, sometimes I feel like talking to fathers, sometimes it's Jesus. And I realize you can talk to all three at once. But you have to ask, Holy Spirit, how am I seeing whoever that person is? Whoever that person that I'm having anxiety with or fear with. How am I seeing them? Even maybe give me a picture of how they view them. Uh, one, one of the therapists I was reading said he did this exercise and the wife, they, they actually just drew honest pictures and she drew her husband with claws and with fangs because that's how she was seeing him. She was seeing him as a threat, as an enemy. Ask the honest questions. Am, am, am I seeing this person accurately? Is it incomplete? Is it influenced by fear? Or is it even influenced by the enemy? Because we're influenced by the enemy more than we like to say. The enemy goes around. The whole thing in 2 Corinthians 10, uh, Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians 10, the context of that is there's a warfare that's going to either have you disconnect or connect. And in God, you can connect. But if you let your imaginations and your thoughts go, there's a warfare. There's a fortress there. And there is a weapon that you have to fight. There's weapons you have to use to renew your mind. And that's what we're talking about here. And then after doing that, I asked the Lord, now show me a picture of how you see them. And I, and I realized therapists like to write the stories of successes. In that same lady that wrote the picture, he said after they, she spent time in prayer, because he would just did this in the office, she asked God, how do you see them? And she drew a picture of a little kid and a little kid crying. And it's interesting, because what it led to is she just saw him as a little boy, and then the husband of talking to her about some stuff that went on when he was a kid that she had no idea about and found out he was extremely fear-driven because of stuff when he was a kid. And what she saw as anger and threat was all due to a kid that was scared. And it was just, you know, and I agree, and I know the reason they give you those stories is that's a marriage that had a great victory. But the principle's still the same. How does Jesus see that person? Uh, we've talked before about this, but sometimes in the midst of the day, and people just come into my office upset, everybody's going up, you know, just going nuts. My, my process of doing this would have to be like instantaneous because I don't have a chance to just tell them, you guys all go away for 10 minutes and then come back. <laughs> They're going there. And all I could do is say, okay, Holy Spirit, in my mind, just going, Holy Spirit, how do you see this person? And what are you doing in their life? And how do I fit in? And even just that short of a prayer would bring a quietness to me, a calmness where I could hear God's voice. Because it's in quietness, it's in calmness and rest in him is our strength. Me trying to calculate and be Johnny on the spot to solve everybody's problems wasn't going to work. First step had to be, I had to be quiet with myself and the Lord, the two of us together. Make sense? I hope so. Um, we don't have time for this because we're going to do communion. Sometimes also I may go into this, but this is actually the heart of decision-making. Usually when people struggle with decisions, it's because they have all these emotions come up. And it takes time if you ask Jesus, why am I stressed over this decision? And then you write, well, you know, here are five things that may happen. Okay, why do those things concern you? Because often what it gets down to is what you reveal is you're stressing the decision. Isn't just what may happen right or wrong, or to the good or bad, is that you deep down have lost a trust with him. 
Well, if we do this decision, it may work out, but we may lose $5,000. Why does that panic you so bad? Is God your provider, or is you making all the right decisions your provider? Make sense? Okay, I can only touch on that. <clears throat> Actually, I'm not sure about this anymore. <laughs> I want to transition. Is this coming across at all? Because what I want to cross here, this is this is the, the bottom line. <clears throat> yeah, I, I love emotional services and there's exciting things. And I'll see people shout, you know, they have their times. We're gonna we're gonna have a spiritual warfare, and we're gonna shout, and we're gonna scream, and we're gonna yell, and we're gonna pray loudly, and we're gonna be aggressive, and we're gonna we're gonna go win this election, and we're gonna control things, and we're gonna and when I hear all that, I go, is this really spirit? Or is this just our humanity trusting in our emotions or pumping them up or our ability to take control of things? Because what I've experienced and seen is some of the people that talk about spiritual warfare all the time, they will have these great meetings and do all this emotional stuff, and yet their marriages fall apart. They'll talk about all this spiritual stuff going on. And yet their neighbors and them treat each other like enemies. And they keep saying, I just got to pray against my neighbor. Well, scripture never tells you to pray against anybody. Scripture says, pray for your enemies, not against them. It, it is a critical thing that I'm beating to death because we have to keep our mindset in New Testament living. Humans are not my enemy. And I do understand we have to have candor. We have to have, have, have hard conversations. But it was way easy for way easier for me to be candid with people at work when I refused to see them as an enemy. It's when I refused to see them as an enemy that I had freedom to talk to them frankly and directly. Because now I'm not talking in an enemy mode. I'm talking in connection mode. Okay? Because now we have to do a transition to communion. <clears throat> and again, I'm going to have us do a prayer in just with ourselves. Of just asking, Lord, God, who am I in enemy mode with right now? Who do I see as an enemy? And even if you can't exactly see how God wants you to see them, just pray and tell God, I release it, and I want to see them the way you see them. Because when we talk about, well, let's get our hearts right for communion, and some things get into a fear-based thing I don't want to get into. But getting my heart right in communion is really all still about relationship. You know, well, I love Jesus, but man, I the, the people I sit next to, I don't know about. We got to clean that up. We just got to give it to the Lord, and then we'll celebrate communion. Okay? So again, I'm just going to ask you now, Lord, is there someone in my life that this fits with? Now, Jesus, we turn, we turn this loved one over to you. You love them. They're your child. And God, I can't fix them. And I can't manipulate them. I ask you, Lord God, to just do your healing. God, you heal them. And you heal me. And you heal us as a family. Amen.
Thank you for joining us today at Coastline Church. To find out more information, please visit coastlinefoursquare.com.